you know for that. Now, um, Pastor Gary mentioned, well, no, said, commanded that uh, <laughs> it's true, it's true. I had something else in mind, but he said, no, joy. So we're talking about joy, which is great, because we've got a double portion of joy in the room. Oh, no, one's just, no, she's still, no, she's out there. Anyway, we've got two joys in our room. Okay, so I thought, okay, what is this joy? So I thought, drove myself to look at a dictionary. Webster's Dictionary is brilliant, but um, I'll skip on to another one. Oh, well, no, a deli- joy is a delight of the mind from the consideration of the present possession of good or the assurance of approaching good. Joy is deeper than happiness. Happiness can depend on happenings. Give me chocolate, I'm happy. (laughs) Joy is actually a a state of settled contentment, confidence, and hope. It's a settled assurance, a quiet confidence. It's a determination to choose to praise God in every situation. It's confidence that comes from abiding in the vine, knowing that everything will be okay because we're connected to him. Oh, page two. There's over 580 references to joy, which indicates it's a serious subject to God. And for me, I could sum it up now, and it would save you having to listen to me. It's keep your eyes on him who we can't see. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You say, keep your eye on him who you can't see. With our natural eyes, we can't see him. But with the real, the real us, the inner man, or woman, if you're into gender, the inner person can see him. And we're told, we're commanded to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. An interesting thing about joy, it's empowering. It enables you to do things. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So if you want some joy unspeakable and full of glory, believe him. Hebrews 12.2 should pop on the screen. Oh, gosh, he's good, isn't he? Hebrews 12.2. The mysterious writer of Hebrews says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And we had such an excellent graphic description of how horrendous the cross was for him. The physical pain would have been nothing compared to the pain that Paul's referred to. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's obviously empowered him. The thing is, how do we get it? Paul, in Romans 14, 17, gives us the best clue of all. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as I thought about this, I thought, I I see this as a a progression. Not a a progression that's going to take years, but a progression that takes just the click from here to here. Righteousness is a gift that God gives us. We can't earn it. We 
can't do anything to get it except accept the gift. It's a gift of righteousness. In the sight of God, you are holy, pure, and perfect. If you've repented of the last thing, that's it. All you have to do is turn to him, repent, bang, you're in the state of perfect righteousness. With that righteousness comes the peace of knowing that you have a father who loves you, that he's looking after you. You get the peace that passes all understanding, irrespective of circumstances. So you get righteousness, you get peace. When you're really sure about those two, joy. Joy. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And it's our entitlement because that's what Jesus has given us. That's what he's done for us, to give us righteousness, peace, and joy. It's definitely not a feeling of being extra happy. You can pretend to be joyful by smiling in church, but that doesn't work. Well, it'll work for a moment, but you won't really fool anybody, and you don't fool yourself. It's not dependent on circumstances. In fact, it appears to be the opposite to what we would like. It often depends on unpleasant circumstances. On the screen, this is Jesus himself. See, I didn't say Yeshua that time. This is Jesus himself saying, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and cast you out, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. Okay, so if you're excluded, hated, and your name cast out as evil, for his sake, not for being a scoundrel, but for his sake, then you're entitled to rejoice and leap for joy. That's an interesting thing for him to say. Rejoice, leap for joy. Everybody hates you, so what? <laughs> leap for joy. I love you. That's the, that's the most important thing. He loves us. We can afford to leap and leap. I won't do a leap now because my thing will fall off. <clears throat> James, his half-brother, interestingly said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, when the trials come, which inevitably they do, much as I would like to hide in bed with a quilt over me, they still come. Count it all joy when these trials come because it's doing something amazing for you. You might not enjoy it at the time, but eventually you do because your faith is getting tested. Your faith is getting stronger and you are getting into the state of being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when stuff starts happening to you and you think, ah, think about this, count it all joy, because some good things are happening. Thessalonians, we're back to Paul again. You became fol- oh, sorry, it won't be up there. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. This is the Thessalonian church, a baby church. They were afflicted because becoming a Christian wasn't popular. But with the affliction came joy. Much affliction and joy. It's entirely opposite to what my flesh likes. You might be okay with it. I'm not okay with affliction. 
but it produces something beautiful. Peter and the apostles were in Acts now. Different person talking now to Luke, presumably. And in Acts 5, well, leading up to Acts 5.41, which is behind me, I know that I don't even have to look because Aaron's really good at his job. (laughs) Peter and the apostles have been going through an amazing time. There have been wonderful signs and miracles, multitudes added to the church. We'd get thrilled with two or three or a dozen. We'd be dancing. But there were multitudes coming in to the knowledge of God. Multitudes. People were getting healed, delivered, set free. The high priest not being comfortable with the situation because it was disturbing the order, changing things from what it was, and it was all stationary and static and fine. Everybody was happy. All this is going on. So they grab Peter and some apostles, throw them in jail. They're beaten, which would not be a pleasant experience. But they left after being imprisoned and beaten. And it says, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Wow, this is our heritage. So it looks like joy and rejoicing has definitely got nothing to do with circumstances. It's actually, I think it's two things. First of all, it's a choice. You can stay grumpy or you can choose to rejoice. Sometimes I make the mistake of staying grumpy instead of rejoicing, which is never good. And in actual fact, joy and rejoicing is a command. It's interesting the things that God commands us to do. He commands us to love one another. So you think, how can you command somebody to love? It's easy when you've got a gorgeous fiancé, for example, to love them. Or a beautiful husband and wife. But we're commanded to love one another. It's a command. Therefore, it's a choice. It's not the feeling. We've got to be very careful with feelings. Feelings are wonderful most of the time. But love is not a feeling. We're commanded to forgive. It's not a feeling. You don't have to think, oh, I'm sorry. I really feel sorry. No, it's a choice of the mind. You choose to say, no, I forgive. No, I will love. Despite what's going on, I'm going to love. I'm going to forgive. And we're going to... We're also commanded to pray. We're told to pray. He didn't say, if you feel like it, pray. We've had this wonderful example of the power of prayer in Heidi's husband's life. What a difference it would have made to Heidi today if she couldn't have stood up and said that. The power of prayer. Joy and rejoicing is a command. Go back to Paul. Before we say anything about what he said, now we'll say what he said first. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That is one of his final statements to a church. Rejoice in the Lord. In the same book of Philippians, it says, Rejoice in the Lord now and then. Oh, you put the wrong one up here. Okay. Rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. So you might think, well, that was okay for Paul. He was the leading light. He was the top man. Everybody loved Paul. No, they didn't. He was hated. He was despised. He was beaten. He was stoned. 
everything bad that could happen to him, his body must have been an absolute wreck of a thing to look at because he was beaten, thrashed so many times. He was shipwrecked a couple of times. It didn't happen just once when he was on his way to Rome. He was shipwrecked. So this man who's beaten, stoned, whipped, shipwrecked, hated, chased, despised, said, rejoice, always, again, I say, rejoice. It's obviously not an option. Well, it is. You can be disobedient if you want to, but it's actually a command. So the secret is, how do we get to that state of having joy? A couple of steps. Most important thing, this beautiful book. Believe it. Read it. You don't have to read from Genesis to Revelation every day. You might just need to read two or three verses to suddenly click that this is absolute truth and it's worthy of your time. Believe it. Read it. Believe it. It'll cause your faith to grow. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The only way our mind gets renewed is through this. Our mind is getting polluted constantly by the stuff that comes out of the lying box. You may call it the television. I call it the lying box because it lies. And it feeds you stuff. You might think, well, I don't watch the news, which does lie. You might think, I don't watch that. I don't watch the news. I don't watch those sort of programs. But you might watch a program, um, like a reality program, or um, some of the interesting programs that are on there that are called entertainment or or drama. Um, They're feeding you all the time. They're feeding you with stuff that you think about it. Oh, you're not old enough to think about it. Uh, Many, several decades ago, or perhaps when your mother was young, and there are lots of mothers in here who are still young, but when I think about when my mum was, was growing up, she would never, ever have expected the things that we've got now. And I'm not going to go droning on about uh, gay marriage. It's in. But you never would have you would never would have thought a few years ago that would have happened. You would never have thought that babies would be aborted at the last minutes of, you know, practically to birth. But it's happening. You would not have believed the stuff that we think of as okay. It's, I mean, it's not okay. But in general society, the lying box will tell us, it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. Whatever you feel like doing, do it. It's okay. Because you're a human being. You've got to express yourself. We're transformed by this. Reading it. Enjoying it. Just getting it more into you. Letting it soak, soak in it. You don't have to read it for hours and hours and hours. You might just read one small verse and think. Just think about it. Meditate on it. You don't have to read pages and pages. You can for the sheer pleasure of it, but you're transformed by little snippets. Ask him for wisdom. Seek his power and be in regular fellowship with hungry saints. You're saints. You're a saint. You are a saint. You're a child of God. You're a saint. It's automatic. You're already in heavenly places. You're already seated in heavenly places. You are a saint. Stick around other saints. It will encourage you. It will challenge you. Believing is the big key for receiving joy. Now we're nipping over to Romans 15, verse 13. Paul again, the beaten Paul. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill us with joy and peace. He's not withholding it from us. It's ours to have and to hold. 
The God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you might think, what's so significant about talking about this now, apart from it was a request? Um, the Times used to be a good song called The Times Are Well Changing. Anybody who remembers that's obviously old. It's a good song. The Times are changing, but not necessarily for the better. Now, I'm going to look at a couple of passages now that you might... The, they're interesting passages. 2 Timothy 3. Oh, sorry, I keep looking, Aaron. I do trust you. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. We know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. It doesn't mean you don't talk to them and love them witness to them. You just don't get hold of what they've got hold of. I, I smile when I read this because uh, men will be lovers of selves. What does that remind you of? <laughs> it's amazing. I go to the market regularly and there they are standing there with nice things behind them going, not photographing it, photographing themselves. Lovers of self. The Bible's up to date, isn't it? Now, you thought, you thought that description from Romans 15 was, uh, uh, sorry, Timothy 3, was grim. I uh, printed out what the Passion Bible says. This is actually worse, believe it or not. <clears throat> Characteristics of the last days. You need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves, obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful, ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Any woman's magazine will have lies on the front of it. There's an example. Prince Harry and his wife are having twins, or they're getting divorced, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. Anyway, slander. Slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent, haters of what is good and right, with brutal treachery. They will act without restraint, bigoted, and wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world, more than in the pleasures of the loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they had nothing to do with him or his power. Stay away from people like these. We were just happened to be watching um, an outstanding preacher, Andrew Womack. Um, and he was in the presence of, uh, I think it's Mike Pompeo, which is like, quite high up in the American uh, 
um, government. It might be the deputy, I'm not sure. Anyway, he's a very senior member of the American uh, control. And they were in this group discussing what was happening within uh, their government. And they're saying that walking through uh, where they meet, I know there's different names for it, but anyway, wherever they meet, it's the hatred of, I hate to be political, the hatred of the Democrats for Christians is obvious. It used to be well hidden, but now it's blatantly obvious. And they're saying that Christians are going to be targeted by the Democrats if, God forbid, they win at their next election in November. So, like him or not, President Trump, for one of the reasons he's hated, is because he does things like he wants to roll back on abortion. He wants prayer back in schools. He wants to cut back on things that have, have, have come into our society. Now, it's your choice to like him or dislike him. It's, not, it's actually, I don't think it's any of my business to like him because I don't know him well enough. I have trouble liking me some days. But the point is, that branch of the government is trying to bring in better things for society, and they and Christians are hated. You think, what have we done? Nothing, except stand up for certain values. Anyway, that's the Passion Translation. That's grim. So, let's have a look at what um, Jesus himself said. In Matthew 24, uh, uh, I'd like you to look at these. Well, stop looking at me, but please look at it. Because I think it's important that we get this clear in our mind. The disciples said to him, you know, how will we know when we're at the end and when you're coming back? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age is the question. He answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now you might think, she's been a bit miserable. I'm not actually. I find this quite exciting. Because it means things are getting much closer to when he's coming back. And that is going to be the most. Don't get me, I won't talk about that. I will actually have to dance. <laughs> so, wars and rumours of wars. There's wars all the time. It, most countries have got some form of war going on. The unusual type of wars we're getting now are ethnic wars, where a country is splitting because of the fighting between different factions within it. Look at Syria. The country's practically destroyed. It's an ethnic war. People are not fighting, Syria's not fighting with Turkey or with anybody else. Syria's fighting with itself. It's, a, it's an ethnic war. It's revolting. Another circumstance, we've got this, uh, Jesus talk about pestilence. There's a pestilence raging through China and trying to sneak out into other places. It's pestilence. This, this is predicted. You might think, well, why did God, why did God say that? He didn't say it because he was causing it. He said it because he sees the future and the past all as one. He sees all of it. And he's just saying, pestilences, 
They're increasing. Everything, all these bad things are increasing. We won't go into the whys because that's a much more complicated subject. And Pastor Shale would be much better than I ever could be on that subject. Pestilence, the virus. Slavery is worse now than it's ever been. The, most, um, the greatest money earner nowadays is not drugs. It's human trafficking. And don't kid yourself, it's only going on in faraway places. It's happening in this country, definitely. There's, there's, a, there's a massive plague of locusts going through the Horn of Africa at the moment. Hundreds of millions of locusts eating everything that's in front of them. What's going to follow that? Food's gone. Following that is extreme hunger. Hundreds and thousands of people are going to die unless the wealthy West helps them. The persecution of believers. Um, Google it. It's horrendous. People have been crucified, beheaded, for the simple fact that they're a believer, that they love God. Lawlessness. Don't tell me what to do. You know, even within a home, it's don't, you know, it can happen. But lawlessness generally is, is in society. People being offended. And I did think he did mention somewhere along the line, power shortage in the church in Timothy. These are things he said would be happening. They are happening. So you think, Ugh. we've got an enemy. He's a defeated foe. Jesus was absolutely and completely successful on the cross. He defeated Satan. But we are the ones that were supposed to enforce his victory. And we can. The God of this world order, the prince of the power of the air, has no authority over you or those close to you because you can pray for them and speak the blessing of God upon them, as indeed has happened in Heidi's family this weekend. Okay, what's the solution to all these grim things I've just described? Well, I didn't describe them which God told us about. There's a brilliant solution. It's so easy. You ready? You'll like this. Draw near to God. That's it. It's that simple. Draw near to God. As things get worse, get nearer to him, and you will be having a wonderful time because you're near him. And where he is, there's peace, there's joy, there's life. Psalm 16, verse 11, it's beautiful. Now, think about David, the warrior king. He went through a lot of battles in his life. It took him a long time to become the king. He knew he was going to be king for a long time, but he didn't grab it. He waited till God's timing came. And he said, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. If you think your joy level is a bit low, and only you know that, it's not the false smile that will tell people you're joyful. If your joy level is low, get into the presence of God. I know that for myself. When my joy level's down and I'm grumpy, I need to be more in the presence of God. It's the place to get your joy. And you don't need to just get joy. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Imagine that. Joy and pleasures forevermore with him. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah. I didn't, it's not up there because I, I thought I've given Aaron too many... Scriptures already. Isaiah 12, 2. He said, Say, this is something to say, the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Go on, let's say it. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, I like therefores. You needed to know the first part to get the next bit. Therefore, with joy, you will draw waters from the well of salvation. Imagine there's this well of salvation. Now, salvation's not only getting born again. It's deliverance. It's healing. It's restoration. Every good thing you can think of is in the well. And you've got to throw your bucket in and bring it up. Takes a bit of effort. The funny thing about God, he could just go, zap, you've got everything. No, he expects us to use our faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Throw your bucket in and draw out with joy from the well of salvation. I love that one. Okay, I'm nearly finished. Page 10, there's only two to go. All right, I have to, I have to write big because I can't see. Without me getting specs, then I wouldn't be able to see you. I want us to read Psalm 91 together. Not all of it, because you wouldn't get any lunch. Psalm 91, you ready? Please read it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. It shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. The antidote to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Matthew 24, the description of what's coming, is the presence of God. I, I would highly recommend that you just meditate on that psalm for a short time, and you will dance. We have a few dancers in this room, but if you read that at home, really let it sink in. If that doesn't get you dancing, I have serious doubts that you're alive. Okay? It's dance. You think about it. It's, it's amazing that we can shelter. It even talks about the pestilence that walks at noonday. Pestilence. It's trying to seep into all the countries. It's trying to do whatever pestilences do. Kill. Who does it remind you of? Kill, steal, destroy. It's a pestilence. It doesn't matter who created it. Um, if it was created or it was a natural phenomenon, it doesn't matter. It's from the enemy. But we've got God. So, hold on to what we have. 
Use this resources. You've got the word. Study, meditate, declare it, speak it out, say it. We've got the Holy Spirit as our helper. Imagine that, the Holy Spirit who brooded over the face of the waters and the, and the, the earth comes. We've got him. Worship. We've had wonderful worship. It honors him, but it does us the power of God as well. We've got the armor of God. Powerful. Fellowship. You've got fellowship now, but get in a home group. Get people around you. Pray in English. Pray in tongues. If you're not sure about praying in tongues, Dean will pray for you later. <laughs> yeah, seriously, if, if you haven't got that wonderful gift, come, come up. The exciting thing is, things are going to get hilarious in the world. And we need to tell people about the goodness of God. The most important thing is tell people, rescue people from this. We want, we want Acts 5 again, where multitudes are coming into the kingdom of light. We need to tell people about the goodness of God, the love of God, the blood of Jesus. We need to tell people, because they need to get out of this world into the kingdom of light. Now, I'm just going to finish up with a prayer. Dean reminded us last week that we're children of God. We're men and women of God. We've got to act like it. Read it. Speak it. You'll find yourself acting like it. You'll be laying hands on the sick and they shall recover. This is going to happen. We will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus said, go and do this. Tell them about the kingdom and heal the sick. He did it all the time. I'm hanging on for it. I'm determined. Remember Pastor Gary a couple of weeks ago before he was smitten? Interesting. A wonderful bit of preaching and then bang, an enemy. We have. We are children of God. We're supernatural. We're not just ordinary human beings anymore. We've got a heritage. We've got a terrific future. But don't forget to tell people. People need to know. Is there anybody in here who doesn't know the goodness and love of God? Oh, sorry, close your eyes. Is there anybody that wants to put the hand up and isn't aware that they are loved and precious to God and the power of the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all unrighteousness and sin? Anybody? No, good. Well, it's not good, really. It would be nice if the place was full of people who didn't know God. What I want us to do, I'm finishing with, um, I want us all to read a prayer, so I'll get out of the way. This is a prayer in Colossians. Our home group made a commitment to pray for each other uh, daily. Most days I do. I'd say 99% of the time I do. But I want us to pray this prayer in Colossians. If it's prayer in the Bible, you know God can't do anything else, but he has to answer. It's mandatory. He has to answer because you're praying the word. You're praying what he said. So um, if we can pray this together and believe this is what God wants for you, pray it for yourself, pray it for your family, pray it for the people you're sitting with right now, and pray it consistently for our pastor and our leadership. Right, Colossians 1, 9 to 14, a prayer of God. Pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of him, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and perseverance with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
He has delivered us from the power of Satan and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Go tell people. Amen.